This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 714, brought to you by the Netflix Behind the Scenes podcast. New episodes of Behind the Scenes are out now with new episodes weekly. And iFanboy listeners like you. I'm so tired. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week. It's episode 714. I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. So on a continuum of <laughs> 1 to 10, last week we'll say we were at, I want to say 2. Maybe I was I was at 3, you were at 1, so we'll come out at 2. Where are we now? Um, I, maybe. Average your day. I know there's, there's current, but... Sure. Of, 5 or 6. 5 or 6, not bad, not bad. I would say... That's average. I give myself a a six. So we're still under the weather, various in various ways. Mine more overtly audio, and Josh is more covert and painful <laughs> and, internally, as it were. But we're here for you and each other always. Yeah, so um, we're 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 hanging in there. So people mentioned, why didn't you get sub hosts? This is life, man. <laughs> it's true. That's. I mean, very, if, I, if, that's I, if, if I had been worse, I would have. I would have uh, had someone sub in, but what can you do? That's a lot of burden to place on the host, sub host. You can't do it at the last minute because there's, right. there's, there's a great deal of prep required for the show. Right. Hours and hours and hours of reading. And, and if you're not planning to come on, why would you do that to yourself? Last week, it was like I, I got real bad right before. Like, like last week, we were just going to talk about this for a while. Last week, I... Uh, <laughs> The, the day we recorded was the worst day I've had in three weeks. So it, it didn't, you know, I didn't realize how bad I was until I woke up that morning. At that point, it's too late to get a sub post. So, yeah. Anyway, we're both sick, but we both read our comics and talked about them. And do you, you can keep reading the, sh- the show. And just- oh, right. We are doing that. Yeah. I fanboy. We have a stack of, uh, each week a stack of comics. One of them picks their favorite book. Uh, last week, I had to do it. This week, Connor had to do it. We called that the pick of the week. I'm sorry. We talk about the other books and that one and the patron pick. Uh, listener mail, if we have time. We're going to vary that a little this week, but it's still actually a listener mail. It should be a good time. There will be spoilers. It's in the books. Exercise caution if you have not read them, but you should probably just read them. Connor, you had the pick. Go along. I did. And um, last week we talked about how, you know, returning from the break and all these giant leaks of books that we missed while we were on break and we come back and we had a really really sh- small week and it was weird and this week it felt like the exact same week it was uh yeah really small i think i had like 11 books and um and i texted you because i had made fun of you last week um mm-hmm. and i texted you because i had read every book but one and i was like i'm sorry i <laughs> for making fun of you last week i think every every book i read at that point no, there was no book that would have given more than three stars out of five, too. Right. And it was just kind of like a very, very middling week. And then I, the last book I had that I hadn't read yet was The Question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, book two, which is a black label miniseries from Jeff Lemire, Dennis Cowan, Bill Sienkiewicz, Chris Sotomayor, and uh, Willie Schubert. I was about four pages into it, and I was like, oh, thank God. At least this, is a, this book is being made at a really high level of craft. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something to be – and, it's, and it's, this particular issue is a Western – and it was it became a very easy uh, decision after that. The, the thing about this is, is I don't know what it is, this miniseries. Uh, so I'm just sort of taking it issue by issue. 
I'm no, and I'm no, by no means a question expert, although I am a question fan. Did you read this? I did. Okay, I did. so I was about a quarter of the way through it, and I was like, so are they setting up Victor Zaz as a bad guy for the question? And then I was like, wait a minute, this seems wrong. So I looked it up, and the question's retconned real name is Charles Victor Zaz. And then Batman's serial killer bad guy's name is Victor Zaz, but their names are spelled just slightly differently. The S and the Z are transposed? Yes, that seems so weird to me. It's a weird choice. It's a very weird choice. So about, literally about a quarter way through, I, was, I thought we were setting up a villain here, like a like turning Zaz into a question villain, and then oh. it all got thrown out in my head. Vic Sage. Yeah, I, I actually did have some confusion for a while, and I I don't fully understand what happened with the naming and who's who, but by the end I knew who everybody was and what was going on yep. for the most part. So once I got over the name, because I thought, well, that's weird. This is an old-time Mr. Zaz story in a question book. Right. Okay. Right. It's a weird choice, uh, and it's not a it's not a choice of clarity at all. But if you put that aside. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I thought it was a great issue. It was very – first of all, if you told me this was Jeff Lemire – Without me knowing, I, I wouldn't. I would never have known that. Yeah, it really uh, a high level of uh, of um, I guess diversity of work here. Yeah, you know, like it just it didn't feel like him at all, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, and, it, I, and I said, like I said, I don't even remember what happened in the first issue. I took this as a um, like a like a single issue cowboy story. Yeah, and if you take it that, that way, it's terrific. And we're gonna we're gonna get to the art in a second, but man. Victor Zaz is the blacksmith in town, and there's a they're gonna hang him a, um, a black man wrongly for a crime he didn't commit, and uh, he puts his neck out in the line to save him and his wife, and they run out of town. They encounter an American Indian woman who saves them from the posse, and it all sort of goes sideways. And it was just a great western story on its face, without the elements in the background of the villain with no face, and then he gets his mask, and he keeps having visions of the future, which. Brought me back to, do you remember From Hell? Remember re- the first time you read From Hell? That, that, yeah. That year everyone read it when they, that book, the, the compilation came out. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a scary book on its face. But the one, the scene that unsettled me the most for reasons I don't understand is the scene where Jack the Ripper uh, sees the future. And I don't know why that mm-hmm. unsettled me so much. But that, that those kind of scenes, for some reason, psychologically do me in. And so there's a part here where he sees the future. And I was like, ooh, creepy. And I, like I said, I don't know what's going on here, and that's not necessarily not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing. But uh, as a single issue, and these are black label books, so this is like a chunk, a meaty, meaty, fifty-page story. Uh, it was really entertaining and and incredibly Boy, well drawn. Boy, I didn't drawn. know that, and it did not feel like it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like two and a half comics worth. Yeah, I mean, through the whole thing, I I, I really. I was a little confused, but I was invested, and I was not annoyed at the confusion, I suppose. Because uh, you know what I kept going back to is that I thought, well, it's the question. Right. Like, I probably shouldn't understand it fully. I, and I don't know if that that's just me fooling myself, but it doesn't matter. That's how I was able to get there. Also, and this should be noted, it's grim. It's not you yeah. get to the end of it like, oh, that feels good. It's yeah, no. not. Everything is bad in this. It, it's a it's a it's probably appropriate for this time of year and – uh, our level of uh, joy. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I have to keep reminding myself that it is a black label book, which means it is out of continuity. Mm-hmm. It is sort of a uh, 
self-contained story. So at first I was annoyed because, you know, I've been well on record saying I hate the idea that all these characters are legacy characters now. And here mm-hmm. you have the question existing in the Old West as well as in the present day. But if you, but it's a black label book, so it doesn't really matter. It, it's on its own. It's it's telling its own story. It's not worried about any other continuity, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz and their their longstanding partnership, where Dennis Cowan is is the really talented penciler, and then Bill Sienkiewicz brings his own spin to the inks. Ugh. Full disclosure: I worked with Bill Sienkiewicz on two projects last year. Nothing to do with any of this stuff or DC Comics. There's a bit at the end where they show the pencils and they show the inks, and then and then you get you can see the fully colored page in the beginning, and it's just it's just so interesting to see how their styles work together and enhance each other. And it, this is a beautiful book. Yeah, I mean, it, I I'm gonna say it took me a while to come around to Sinkevich, and by that I mean I've I've been down with Sinkevich for a good decade or more, but I you know when I was younger I just didn't mm-hmm. get it, but like now I can see it from a thousand miles away. Yep. And it always brings me immense joy. Yeah. And to watch, you know, it really is hard to say which of those two elements is sort of preeminent and making me like this. Uh, but I would say that it really is the combination. It's the melding of those two artists working together to, to prove something. And then, you know, and then on this one, Chris Sotomayor comes in and doesn't screw it up. I, well, I, I want to give him more credit than that. And it, and it looks fine and it's good and everything. But really... You know, well, the, you, palette, you, the palette is good and it's appropriate. It's not. Yes, it, it really works with the with the art. And I mean, if Dennis Cowan's storytelling is terrific, there's there's. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a western, so there's action, but there's also a lot of talking. But there's a, there's so many like dramatic dramatic close ups on yeah. people in, in in here that was really great. Um, there's a page here that I really love, uh, page eighteen on your digital reader. It's just a conversation, but it's. It's drawn in such a way that the angles change. It gets close. It gets. It's really well done. Oh, yeah. Conversation page, and that's what Dennis Cowan brings. That page actually has a lot of. Uh, look at that third panel. It's very Steve Dillany. Yeah. Um. Or or maybe it's vice versa. Like Steve and then uh, takes that stuff from him. And then Sikavich comes in and puts the, te- the texture and the atmosphere on it. And it's just it's it's a, it's a combination that always works really well. They work they work together quite a bit. Um. It's it, and this is this is an instance where you can see really see what what an inker can bring to the proceedings in an age where the inker is fast becoming the dodo bird. Um, how the art changes, but still become stays Dennis Cowan's art, um, but is given a little bit more interesting life to it with Sinkevich's inks on it. Um, this is a beautiful. This was the best looking book by far of the week. I like that what it has is this sort of combination of like roots American comics and westerns, and then like. Definitely a dash of, of sort of European comics, mm-hmm. and then and also like it's not it doesn't it feels modern still it doesn't feel like it you know like a throwbacky kind of thing it's it's a lot of sort of all the things you want to see and you know reading this doesn't not remind me of of the gorgeousness of um of the Jonah Hex series yep. you know like every issue had some you know some wonderful you know a european artist or, or somebody who sort of took in that style and this this felt like that's almost like the spaghetti western of comics in a way right um it just has that that feel to it that that makes you it just screams of quality and sort of care and and like like patience like the pages have a lot of patience to them mm-hmm. um which i think fits the question really well like you you really are having to think about everything that happens and the fact of the matter is you could Again, I don't I don't remember what happened in the first issue. You, I can I remember yeah. flashes of imagery, but you can definitely read this issue on its own 
and get a, a very entertaining and satisfying Western story out of it and have it have elements of the question in it. But really it's just, a, you know, it's a story of revenge and, mm -hmm. uh, it's great. I really, I, I was, I was so happy for many reasons having when I finished it because it was an easy pick of the week choice, but also because it was a great, it was a great book. And week there were mm -hmm. uh, there were no other great, you know, great books that came out for me. Um, I was like, oh, thank God, because otherwise it would have been a real weird show. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I had as bad of a week as you did. I had things I could talk about. I don't think sure. it was bad. I just think for me, most most yeah. of the things I read was just like, okay, that was a comic, you know. Well, I mean, for us, that is bad. Bad is the thing you can talk about. Eh, is not right. You know what I mean? There's not there's not anything to learn with mediocre. There's it's very the conversation after it was fine is boring for you to listen to and for us to have. I see what you mean. What did you end up thinking of Second Coming as the final issue came out this week? Issue six, Mark. I, Russell. I fell off. I oh, fell off. So I haven't been keeping up with it. So I'm you're not, on your own. I'm not quite sure what this book was about. So this was the last one. This was the last issue, yeah. All right, I ha I have them sort of stacked up. I just lost him in the churn, and and I I, you know, it's I I I love Mark Russell, I I do, but for some reason I wasn't really drawn to return to this one. This this one seems like it should have been the winner because again we talked about it. he comes from a theology background and this is all about you know religion and Christianity, and. As often as the case, I feel like maybe this needed to be 12 issues. You know, most of his work has oh. been 12 issues. I just feel like there was, he was trying to say something here, and I don't know that he actually ever got the chance to say it. There was, a, there was, a, there was parallel stories going on. You know, you've got the story of the main hero, was it Sunspot or some, Sun something, and him dealing with Jesus in the modern day, plus the flashbacks to the events of the Bible and then God up in heaven. So it was, there was a lot going on. I don't know that anything ever got enough page count to really, really say anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was always interesting. There was a lot, and there's a lot here. And this issue particularly where we flash back to Jesus gathering his disciples and then um, eventually ending up crucified. And through Mark's Rus Mark Russell's lens, you know, it was funny and entertaining and ironic and sad it was never bad. This comic was never bad, and there was always great scenes and great ideas in it. I just don't know that if if I finishing it, I, I understand what he was trying to say with it. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I mean, if this was a thing that had started as you know, like, I guess it was a Vertigo story, but it didn't yeah. or whatever, and then it became its own thing. But it really is, I mean, Jesus notwithstanding, an original property, mm -hmm. and and perhaps at least at this point, you know, his strength lies in imbuing an existing property and and the sort of irony that he can put into that mm -hmm. you know and all that stuff mixes together like maybe maybe that's what he's great at and sort of the whole cloth development of a new thing maybe he doesn't have that quite yet possibly but i mean this, the the main superhero is basically is superman with lois lane yeah and the worst thing he ever wrote was the superman lex Luthor thing from right. some anthology a while ago and to me, the most interesting part was always the the other stuff, the Jesus stuff, the, the the looking back at the Bible through more realistic, you know, lens. And Satan ends up being a character. It was all, like I said, it was all worth reading and all interesting. And the art was good from Richard Pace and with Leonard Kirk inks on it in the modern day. But I finished it. I thought, wow, I, I feel like I should know what he wanted to s say here. And I don't know that he I did, mm -hmm. uh, which is a bummer. But I still enjoyed reading it. And he's got another book coming out called Billionaire Island. Which I'm with Steve Pugh from Flintstones drawing it, and I'm excited for that. 
Cool. Again, from Ahoy Comics. And if he has a home here at Ahoy Comics, that lets him publish his challenging stuff, and and Ahoy Comics gets to stay in business, then that's fine. It works for me. Yeah. I just don't. I just uh, don't know what the point was. I am still gonna. I'm gonna finish this. You should. Like, I, I think I, you should I, definitely I, read it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I actually missed a couple of ep- issues of, of Red Sonia, and like I made sure to go back and get them. I don't always do that, so it's, I will read it. Like it's, it's one of those things where uh, he's always saying something worth listening to mm-hmm. at the, at the very least. Uh, so I know, that, I, I know that you're coming at uh, everything this week from sort of like it was fine. Uh, where, where are you specifically on, on Legion of Superheroes? Well, if you had two and a half issues in your Ryan Sook pool, then you won. Yeah, I read the second issue, and the whole time I was like, Mike. Look at this man draw. You know. <laughs> no, I mean, again, this was fine. This was, you know, uh, I feel like perhaps two, all right, two things I thought about reading this issue. One, I th- as much as I hate Damian Wayne, I feel like bringing him in the future was was wasted here. Okay. Like, nothing really happened other than he got sick and they immediately sent him home for a story that they've been building up for a while, and he's on the cover as Damian comes to the future and he he gets there and the joke is, you know, like. What, the air is different, and so he gets sick immediately. They have to give him meds, and then they, he's basically sidelined until the end, and they send him home, having forgotten what happened. And then the other thing is, the the real charm of this book has been the team, and then for me, getting into the mythology with this general and all this stuff, I get I get a little bit over my head. I do. I, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, which is, it should be. Every time you see the Legion, it's 57 characters standing around or whatever. And you know, if anybody was if anybody has been preparing to do this his whole life, it's Bendis. Right. But one thing I thought is that a I, I actually for whatever reason I really like how Bendis writes Damien and John together. I think mm-hmm. that's I, I haven't read that Super Sons book, and I don't plan to. But this is like the he gets Damien just right so that like it it squares with who the character's supposed to be, and you don't quite hate him. Right. And also, and that's just through the also the the perspective of having him be with John, somebody who he literally considers, you know, a peer, and so therefore he's not always being condescending to him, which I think is helpful and not not painting him like that. I would like to point out though that with, with the benefit of hindsight, the Legion of Superheroes refers to him as Baby Hitler, so clearly they know they know maybe what's going well, on. So in this in the same sense, the bit where you said it felt like it was wasted, I really feel like they put a big crumb on the table that is intriguing, and I really. I really want um, Superboy to watch the orientation. Well, they and yes, I want to watch the orientation. I need to know what's coming up. I like that he made a mistake. I like that he was, you know, feeling overconfident. And I can't remember what Monel's deal is, by the way. What's what's his deal? He's a, he's a Daxamite. He's they're very similar to, to Kryptonians. They have similar powers. Right. The I, I think the implication here was that he's a big like Super Superman boy, fan. Super, Superboy fan and okay, fan, yeah, and fanboy and. Was let down a bit. Yep, I think that works. I, you know, I, I am every time I see this book, I think I don't really want to read that book, and then I read it, and I am engaged, and I want to know what happens next. You know, in in terms of, I, it's hard to grab on though with all these different characters. Like I'm like, okay, I know which one Saturn Girl is. There needs to be a, a, a focus. Like we're three issues in, and it still feels like we were dropped into the middle of this giant party, and no, and we have no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. And it's not all bad in no, that way. But not at all. It, 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 uh, it is a lot, and it makes you, yeah, focus, I think, is the thing you're talking about. Exactly. So, and as, as you said, hopefully the orientation video, which Superboy has been not watching as a running joke, which at the end here, it sounds like he's going to finally watch, because it says, uh, next issue, the secret origin of the Legion of Superheroes. I mean, as a people manager, you really want to get everybody on board. And that's, that's a big, you can't have 
super powered loose cannon going around and not really know what the goal is. Well, I think I think he finally sees now what that he has to sort of yeah. sl- take a step back here a second. Well, you know, it's interesting if I'm if I'm the writer of this and I'm thinking about like this is a kid who can skate. He can do everything. Right. And it wasn't like Clark Kent who had the parents who, you know, were like slow, you know, it, not that not that Clark isn't a good parent, but it wasn't the same as Mama Kent who who, you know, were just say like it's taking a bit of the time. People right. aren't ready for it. You're not ready for it. You know, this kid's a little more impetuous. He's seen what his dad can do, so right. there's less mystery in it. And I, I like that. I think that's a nice generational split right. uh, that they've built up. I read uh, both issues of uh, The Batman's Grave uh, sort of right in a row. So did I. And I feel like I'm enjoying it, but I don't know why. Yeah, and the thing is, if, fa- if, if The Batman's Grave number three, which is Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch... Uh, if that had come out this week, that might have been the pick of the week because I really enjoyed that issue. I, I enjoyed really salty Alfred. Um, I felt like there was a lot of interesting things going on. There was, I believe, that was the issue where where Batman did a lot of like real detective work, which he never does uh-huh. anymore. And this issue was basically four was basically like a really long f- fight scene, and it was totally fine. It just, yeah. you know, I can't pick three as the pick of the week, and I can't make three and four the pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Four was fine. Again, it was fine. It was a Brian Hitch fight scene. It was very much like Batman as Midnighter, much you know, much more overtly brutal and breaking bones and yeah things. Um, but it still was basically one long fight scene, which was again it, fine. And that is why I liked it only because I don't know that it. I don't know that I hear people say this about Warren Ellis, but I mean, people talk about his work as um, you know he created decompression or at least co-created it or sort of, it anyway. Yeah, yeah, but that guy you know, throughout many of his books has, has the best fight scenes that I tend to read in comics. Hmm. And I'm not really into fight scenes, but when I think back to, God, what was that one called? Uh, the one he did with Declan Shalvey, which sort of disappeared. Oh, right. Not, and, that, that wasn't Trees. That was a different one. No, that was Jason Howard. Um, anyway, that scene, you know, Declan Shalvey did some amazing fight scenes in that. It's really great uh, sequential art. And to be honest, I don't tend to think of Brian Hitch as a guy who does that because I tend to think of him as a pulled back scale, like here's a huge, you know, cosmic uh, space fight or something like that. And in this, it was just close in, you know, hand to hand. Crunch, crunch, of- punch, slap, kick, crunch. Yeah. Like it was, it was very visceral, even though that was very – Mostly silent. It was not even really sound effects, yeah. but it was. And uh, I like, I like that in comics, and I like to see these guys do that. And it doesn't. If you look at it in terms of like it's 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 not moving the story forward or whatever, but as, as sort of an exercise to just watch somebody do their thing, I find it really impressive and interesting. And you know, these are two guys who have nothing left to prove mm-hmm. in a way, other than now is to prove we still got it or whatever. And I don't know what this story is. I don't even remember, but. Just watch them sort of work out stuff on a page like this. I thought was pretty entertaining, and also went by quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, there was that dead body that he found, and I don't know how it all ties into this guy. And but it's been interesting to watch. It's you know, Hitch's art I really enjoy, despite the fact that Alfred's face is constantly changing. It's been this weird sort of buddy comedy between Bruce and Alfred that I've enjoyed. Uh, I don't know what it is or what. I mean, we're, we're only four issues into twelve, so. Oh, is it twelve? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. Well, that lets them take their time on stuff like this. And so far, it's coming out. Yeah. Nightwing sixty-eight. Uh, Dan Jurgens, Travis Moore, and Ronan Kliku. I wanted to only mention because I believe it was in sixty-seven that Dick. I'm sorry, Rick. Rick Grayson sustained another head injury, and now he's got his memories back. Right, who saw that coming? 
Although the memories are back, although he's not, it's not like he has been snapped back into Dick Grayson. He's now, he's still Rick Grayson, but with all the memories of Dick Grayson. So now he's very confused as to who he is inside. Join the club. Yeah. So <laughs> that's all I really wanted to mention was that now his memories are back. Huh. Yeah. Are you enjoying it or are you just, I've, I've, I've been in here this long. It's fine. All right. It's not great. What would fine. it take for you to drop a Nightwing book then? I don't know. I really don't. I really don't know. Would you say you're closer to it than not, or or like they'd have to abuse you quite a bit more? Well, you're the one who made that pick of the week. The issue where he lost. And I his, never read another issue after it. He lost his memory. That's really funny. <laughs> I just enjoyed that. It was like you want to keep going. No, I'm good. What was there was a book we read last week where you basically said the same thing. It was the um, the oh, yeah. Captain Marvel spinoff one with the the girl. Oh the right, star. Yeah. But then I think, you know? by the end of it, I talked. I think I talked myself into reading more. Doesn't mean that you will when it comes out, though. That is true. And all it takes is to skip one. <laughs> and then you're then you're off. It's it's how it works. At least if you're like us. I think Nightwing has definitely not been a bad book, but it's definitely not been a good book either. It's just been a book that has that has told occasionally solid but mostly forgettable stories about Rick Grayson with amnesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these other night, these other Nightwings who found his stash of costumes and have been fighting crime for him. It's just been it's been fine. We'll find out where it goes from here. So I m- missed Undiscovered Country 2 over the break. I did not love the first one, yep. despite, you know, liking the names involved for sure. So this is the point where you tell me yes or no. Go ahead and check. Well, I'm not sure. So I read two and three together again. So we're, 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 in, we're playing catch up right now. From all sure. the, I, I definitely read comics over the break, but I didn't read all of my comics. I definitely didn't, didn't read them all as they came out. I've been, I've been there were a kid. lot of comics that came out. Well, there was one week where I had like 45 books on my pull list uh-huh. that, like, while we were gone. Thank God we didn't have a show that week. Uh, so I've been catching up, and I'm almost there. I think I've got like 20 books left that I need to read. I read two and three of Undiscovered Country together. Scott Snyder, Charles Soule, Giuseppe Gamicoli, Danielle Ordolini, Matt Wilson on colors and crank on letters. It's not what I wanted. We talked about this in the first issue. This is not the book I was hoping for when it was renounced. It's still not. I was hoping for something more grounded in DMZ-like. This is much more science fiction-y. But there is something here, and I just can't put my finger on it, that has kept me reading it. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a reveal in issue two about one of the characters that was interesting. We dove deep in issue three here with with the American culture expert, who I think is from Canada. So we've got his backstory. There is interesting things here happening. It's still not exactly what I was hoping for, but so far I'm still reading it, and I'm not entirely sure why. You want it to be good. I do want it to. It's not bad, but it's just not what I wanted. So it's tough. I have to get around that in my head that there's, you know. Uh, I'll say this, Josh. Your your favorite concept in science fiction has come into play here in this story, which is uh, time um, relativity. Oh, I do like that. And so the idea that time within the borders of the United States is not moving the same way as time outside of the United States. Ooh. Which is why there's been, everything's mutated inside the United States. Interesting. So that was introduced in this issue. There keeps being interesting concepts that I'm like, oh, hmm, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. I'm still on board, even though I'm, I'm not, Loving it. it is that sounds like a Charles thing more than a Scott thing to me. I mean, who knows? But that's that was the big reveal in this issue is that they discovered that, or at least the one guy discovered that time is not moving the same as mm-hmm. uh, in where they are as everywhere else. So, huh. Giuseppe Camicoli is you know really strong, and 
Uh, it's it's a huge book for Image. It's like their biggest debut in years. Oh sure, that make I mean that makes sense. Which is but. great for everyone involved in for Image. It's just not exactly what I want, but I'm still reading it. I might. I've got them. I could get. I could get down. I could get down with that. So five years number seven has come out. There's a lot I like about this. There's an awful lot I like about this. I cannot imagine recommending this to anyone. No. Other than somebody who has already read everything Terry Moore has done and also really likes him. Well, I, I've I've only read half, I'd say. No, and, yeah, I'm very, yeah, but you're I, familiar. I'm, no, but I'm also I'm very confused by most of it. Okay. And I'm only reading that's not true. I'm reading it because I really enjoyed the Stranger Paradise 25 book. Uh-huh. And there's some interesting concepts here, but character, like character-wise, and things that things happen, and people show up, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm, and I'm, I would say 50 percent why I'm reading it is because Terry Moore is the best cartoonist in comics. Yeah, and and for me, that's that. But it's also like I, I, I like seeing what else he can do. Mm-hmm. I find it very interesting to see what it is he is interested in and doing at this point. Because, I mean, let's be honest. He can't be selling a ton of these. No. And so this is just a like I'm I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna take my characters. I don't. I'm not sure what this is, but I am intrigued. I, I am. I, I don't know why Kachu has decided to do. I mean, I know why she's going to Russia, but I don't know why she thought that's a good idea. I was surprised that she was doing it, and 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 then she gets pushed out a window and falls one two three four six five stories. Um, and I thought, good God, and then. Uh, uh, I guess this is a spoiler, but you'll have to deal with it. It's on the cover. Okay, yeah, you're right. Well, I, w- I don't tend to look at the cover, so I didn't I know, notice it. It's on the cover, so you can't... Yeah, you it's know. true. So D- David shows up. Now, David was one of the main three characters in Strangers in Paradise, and he died. is one of the saddest things I've ever read in a comic book, much like the end of the, of the last season of Halt and Catch Fire. <laughs> and, I, and I literally, oh my God! So I'm glad I didn't notice the cover. Um, right. And it, I think he's, you know, a memory, a ghost. He's not, not real. Yeah, he's, he's like Although a, a lot of shit's going on. Doesn't matter. I was, yeah. you know, but because they had also, um, I guess, aged him or at least modernized him. Like, this is what he would look like if he was still alive today. Yeah. And and her reaction to it was real. And then also, like, it was over really fast. And I thought, you just, same thing with the, the Batman's grave that we just talked about. They just took their time. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I'm just going to tell this the way I want. And I love that. And it's not like, it's not annoying me. It's not boring me. Uh, it's only given me a little bit of time, but I'm okay. I'm satisfied with that. So a couple of things. One, I, I, I've, I don't, I know David. I don't know as, as well. So I was, I was, I was equally shocked, even though I haven't read as much of that. Like I said, but what's interesting is that so she falls out the window, and he's 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 basically there asking her to get up. And you're right because at first I was like, well, clearly he's just a hallucination. But there's a whole page where he's there, and he is. Oh wait, hold on. Okay. So she's never mind. I was all wrong. She's. I thought he was interacting with a third character, but that's just Kachu's own like sort of consciousness. Yeah. So this, they're just. She's just sort of hallucinating David then. But still, bringing him in like it it filled out a whole thing for me. I was like, all right, these are all these people. And also, you'd have to at some. I think I think at some point you'd have to acknowledge David in this way because he is he was the, yes. the third pillar of the third. You know, it was Strangers was three characters, and he, you yep. know, he's he hasn't really been in this story at all because and he's I dead. had forgotten that like he's the dad of yeah, one of the, of the you know that's the kids yeah yeah it was it was I so again 
It's pretty great, but I'm not sure if it's pretty great to anybody but me. No, I, I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, again, I'm on the very edge. If you haven't read it yep. at all, you, I, I would. Yeah, you're you're holding on by your fingernails, and if if that. Sure. And let's uh, let's take a moment to talk about the Netflix behind the scene podcast. I think about this stuff all the time. It's sort of a little bit behind, you know, why we do this show, these kinds of things. You know, how do writers develop their plots? How, you know, what 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 inspires a character's outfit or why they're doing something or what the shot is? How many people does it take to make a monster on screen? On Netflix's behind-the-scene podcast, you get an exclusive look at how its biggest series are made. Find out how a season of your favorite show comes together from script to screen, all those details that you know you think about uh, or maybe that you didn't think about, and then we'll find super fascinating. Season one of the podcast brought you to Hawkins, Indiana. It's the, the Stranger Things area. Uh, they, this is when they looked into that one in the third season. Now season two of the podcast is going to travel to the continent. In the world of The Witcher, uh, in a three-part miniseries of the podcast, uh, the new season of Behind the Scenes takes you into the original adaptation of uh, Andrew Sapkowski's best-selling books into the world of the Netflix original series The Witcher. There's a question. How do you take 3,000 pages of original material and bring that whole world to life You know, with the writers, the cast, the crew? How do they distill all that down and make something? The series explores the characters of Geralt of Revia, Yennefer of Vingerberg. Uh, Cirilla the Lion Cub of Sintra in detail. You will learn all those details about the things. Uh, it features everyone from executive producers, the cast, sword masters. And, and if, if you are like Connor and I and you watched all the behind the scenes of the Lord of the Rings DVDs long ago, you'll be down for something like that. This is the deeper understanding of the world of The Witcher. If you were a fan of the books or the show or both, uh, it's going to be all there. Host Brendan Jenkins of uh, Mogul and There's Something About Dolomite takes you through the adaptation process from the writer's room all the way to the screen. There are new episodes of the Behind the Scenes out right now. New episodes come out weekly as well. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Mine of Choice, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So get over there and do that. You know, it's, it's great that we get content like this now. Yeah, and if you listen to a show like this, you, you're probably interested in behind the scenes stuff and how, how stuff is made. Yeah. And that's always fascinating. I, I, when I went to the Game of Thrones set, uh, the the best people I met were the sword masters. Those guys are awesome. Oh. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> so check it out, Netflix behind the scene podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So let's jump right to the patron pick. Those were all the books we wanted to talk about previous to the ad. Like we said, there wasn't a lot to say this week. There weren't a lot of books. So the, the show's a little different this week. So we're going right to the patron pick, which is patreon.com slash ifanboy. Everyone who's a patron of the show can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week... The it was a it was a squeaker. It was a three way race, like the old subway race, the Yankee games on the on the screen. The winner ended up being Hellboy Winter Special 2019, which featured three short stories by various creative teams. And I haven't read a Hellboy comic in years. Yeah, I don't think I've been that long, but uh, I definitely have dropped off. You were iFanboy's resident Hellboy expert for years. I was kind of forced to be, but yes, that became my job. Well, you were a big fan. True, I was. Part of that was, was A, it's great, it's real good, but at one point, a person involved with the production of that book sent me a lot of the books, and I felt a little like, well, I better carry through on this, because mm-hmm. that was very nice of them. And it was not difficult. Um, well, I, I've, but, I've always liked the books. I, I, just yes. ever, I just fell off of them at some point. Yep. Yeah. So this was interesting to, to read. The first story was written by Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. The second story was written by Chris Roberson. Third story by Scott Alley. First story, Mark Laszlo on art. Second story, Leila Del Duca. And third was Andrea Moody. I I don't know what I read, Josh. I mean, I read three short stories, but 
Um, I, they seemed, they were only vaguely related to winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was snow outside. I thought the first story was the most successful story. The second story I liked. Third story I didn't like at all. Uh, I'm pretty close with you. I think uh, I liked the first story an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, written by Mignola. It had the classic Hellboy moment of the, well, forget this. You know, get, let's get punching. You know, he says the line, hold the phone, mister. We aren't here to, you know, that get, then get, gets blown away. And he's, all right, pal, that's about enough of that. You know, like it's son of a, it's all the classic Hellboy lines that do not get tiring and nor, nor do uh, Dave Stewart colors ever, 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 ever. Right. I could look at, at, I could look at a Dave Stewart colored Hellboy I don't know. If I'm really surprised he didn't do the whole issue because he was sort of the yeah Hellboy guy. But I I love the way that Hellboy pops. You know, yeah. he, he's you know we're in this we're in this we're in Budapest in 1989 and it's very gray. It's winter. Everyone's very gray and their skin is sort of fallow. And Hellboy just his red just pops, and I just love that. And I, I just always like how he also just exists in the world like it's not a big deal to anybody right. around him. Like right. they might. They might notice him, like you'd notice a guy with a prosthetic limb. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, oh, that's fine. You know, like, but he just gets to be there. And I always like that about it. That it's just, he's accepted. I thought this was a good short story. And let's keep in mind, Mike Mignola wrote the best two-page short story in comics history, as far as I'm concerned. So this does not surprise me. You know, this was, this was a very successful, it, it yeah. had an arc. It had an irony. It, yeah. it, it had a very heartwarming ending. Like, it, it. it Strangely enough, I mean, how long was this? Like ten pages? Not even ten pages? Yeah. If this had been the whole comic, I would have been like, "Oh, that was good." And yes, the, the problem was that each successive short story sort of took away from. It was about it was about ten pages. Uh, each successive short story took took away from it because they weren't as strong. The they just sort of ended. Whereas this one felt like a, a complete short story. Well, the second story did have a, a conclusion, and I yeah. think it it just wasn't. I don't know. I don't know who anyone was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was, was going to ask you it. who are these people cuz I don't know. I mean they they felt like familiar characters in the Hellboy BPRD world. Like it all seemed familiar but I wasn't sure the specifics of who they were. 1924 upstate New York, we're in a, an inn, the Braithwood Mountain Inn that's been snowed mm-hmm. in. Someone has been murdered and then the murderer ends up running outside and getting killed by the mythical beast that they were all telling sort of like a ghost story about in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, look, I assume this main woman who's telling the story is someone from the Hellboy universe. I just don't know who she was. I don't remember. I don't, I don't have a clue. Miss Jewel. That's her name. I don't remember. I'm, she's probably a character, but it's been so long now that I, it was fine. You know, like yeah. it, it I, I got, I got what they were going for. It was basically a whodunit, you know, in the room kind of thing. The last one is perplexing yeah, because it has a lot of elements of things that I really want to like. Andrew Mutiar was terrific. I read it two or three times <laughs> trying to see what I missed or if yeah. I had made the mistake and I had to be like, wait, so, okay, wait, she's saying this, this board balloon and then you do the page turn and then at the end, so the last, okay, so basically what you have is, four, what is it, 14, 1412 is when this takes place. Yeah. And you have an old preacherish kind of guy writing his notes, uh, and then immediately a flashback. That's not super clear that that's what's happening. Right. And him and two other guys go in with an axe and a pitchfork, and, a, and they're, they're sort of going off to avenge God for the evils. And there's a bit of a flashback to the Crusades. 
And then we come back to him sort of – he's writing his sort of like – His memoir. La- confession memoir. Yeah. Kind of like there's a bunch of things at once. And then we keep cutting back and forwards. And they come up to this cabin. They smash down the door. And there's a man who's saying, you know, I'm a, si- I'm a sinner. Come get me. And there's a mother there nursing a baby. And she turns around and she points out that her son, who is a werewolf, is their enemy and not the man. And then they have a look of stunned silence on their face and then walk away with their heads down low. And then the guy burns everything he just wrote. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand. I think they killed the baby. I guess. It was not clear. And I always find this weird because this is Scott Alley's like the longtime editor of Dark Horse Comics. I'm like, if I was an editor, I'd be like, you have to, you need something else here. It doesn't. It does not translate. It's so vague as to be annoying. And it's not like you and I are bad at reading comics. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I make mistakes, but I literally reread this two or three times. It was tough. It was weird. It was a weird one. Um, Mm -hmm. That that was not successful as a short story. It was close. It was close because I do find it interesting. Yeah, again, the art art was terrific. Yes, it was. Hellboy Winter Special 2019 patron pick. Um, let's rate it ratings out of five. Overall, huh? Overall, and that's the tough thing because three. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two point seven five. Okay. Overall, as an average. Mm-hmm. Fair. So there you go, Hellboy. I did not special. enjoy reading it. No, and it was interesting. I'm glad I got to read a Hellboy book because I haven't read one in a while. And the first story was really great, but mm-hmm. I finished it. I was like, whoa, what was the point of that? <laughs> anyway, patreon.com slash ifanboy, that's where you can go vote to add a book to the rundown. But if you give it the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower. Sometimes you get more than one because last week we were both so sick that we fucked up the script and didn't change the names on the script for the patron power. So people last week were the people who were in the previous week, and so they all had two powers. So we apologize to them well, and to you. I, we don't apologize to them. They're thrilled. Maybe they, they don't got, want two powers. Maybe they feel like they that's got, gluttony. Pick and choose. That's true. So we're back on track this week now that we have some semblance of coherence to our brain. And we're going to give patron power to Ryan Kindle. Kindle. And uh, Ryan's power is – I'm really – I just don't want to give sick-related powers because that's cheap right now. So I'm going to say this, that Ryan's power is that his living space is always dust-free. So his house or apartment, wherever he lives, um, it never needs to be dusted. The, the dust just isn't there. Is it unusual to be in a place that has no dust? It's just very clean. It's very mm. clean. And uh, it just happens by him being around. And it's not like a, it's not a halo power. Just that's, wherever he lives, it's very, very clean. Just his, the, his, his, his primary domicile? Mm-hmm. What if he gets successful and has like a second home, like a lake house? Is that also... Then that's also very clean. Okay. He would have been good to have around and lived with during the first act of inception. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There's a dust bowl situation going yeah. on. Or Kansas in the 30s. Well, uh, his house would have been clean, but the, the, the topsoil still would have been a problem. Right. But, well, breathing was a problem, though. At least that's you true. go inside, that's get true. away from it, that's come true. in through the door sills. That's come true. on. Ken Burns did a documentary. I understand. I'm just saying his... In his house, it would have been fine. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mitigated the entire pr- problem. All right. His, his domicile was not the land. 
I see. I see. No, I, I, I realize that he does not unfallow the fallow. Right. I get that. I would also like to play records at his house. That's true. Because dust is the enemy. Doesn't need to worry about cleaning his needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not at all. Nope. It's got a, he has a pristine stylus. Unlike me with a with a wall wall carpet. It's like a constant <laughs> it's like a constant battle with a needle. Buddy, I got little kids and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> JP is able to read and produce schematics for anything. This is this is multi Explain. you know. It, well, have you ever had to put something together mm-hmm. and the directions are, are sort of in Have you ever had to wire something? Wire? Yeah. I mean, I've wired speaker wires, things like that. Speaker wires, yeah. all the things. He can just, like, when I do something like that, so if I have to install a car stereo or I have to put something together, which comes up more often than you would think for me, mm-hmm. I have to really concentrate on the diagrams and, and I will st- still then screw it up. And so that's not a pre. Just looks at it like you would read uh, English words on a page. Got okay. that? I'm sure there are people like that. But then the other side of it is that he can produce a schematic for anything that has to happen. He, you need a diagram for where to go. He's gonna just like somebody writes down directions on a map. He's gonna produce them. You're gonna be able to read that. It's gonna be this perfect. He has two powers. Yeah, all schematic based. He can he can understand schematics and he can produce schematics. Yeah, but 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 not just any schematics. Like perfect. just perfect. Perfect schematics. Also, if I should just love the word schematics, <laughs> big fan of that as a word and concept. On the first try. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. It's like you want that guy. Like, I can't figure out how to do this. It's like, come here. And you go, oh, clear as day. Thank you very much. Hmm. Well, Andrew Nikovich, we're going we're gonna to stay in a similar vein here and to the first power. Andrew Nikovich can unscratch any Blu-ray, CD, or record. So he's like one of those winder things. He just he he, touches, he touches it and it, the, the damage is gone. Man, I could use him here to help me with my 1969 copy of Led Zeppelin II, which would be very valuable if it didn't look like somebody ice skated on it. Right. So, he, you know, no no more problem with your physical media for jumping or skipping or scratching or oh. what have you. He he can fix it all. You know, as a man who owns. Still, many hundreds of DVDs. Yeah. Scratching's never really been a problem with those. Hmm. I remember sometimes you'd get one from Netflix that was sort of so yeah, scratched. Yeah, I was always able to take care of mine. I have one very annoying one that is scratched in a very annoying way. And it's. I wish uh, Andrew could come by and fix it. Can you be more specific about that? Or is it like a porno? No, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's a bootleg of the original Star Wars movies without any of the oh. special editions. And one of them is scratched in one spot and it always fucks up watching it. Oh, wow. You almost you, you were almost the victim of an international incident with that, were you? I was. I was almost <laughs> detained because of those TV. Those TV. <laughs> That's funny. But I yeah. mean, it probably wasn't at the time. <laughs> no, I was sweating a lot. Yeah, that's fair. Excangelical. <laughs> uh, right. Just assume that you know he's a person named Bob, but instead it's Excangelical or her. Uh, their car and shoes always stay clean. Car and shoes are always clean. So yeah. wow, we're we're all in the same zone here this week. Particularly helpful in a winter environment. Sure, no salt residue. Well, yeah, because because then you're like, well, because you look and you go, cover cars covered in salt. If I wash it, is it? Yeah, there's going to be a storm in two days. Ugh, you know, what do you do? Then there's the having to wear boots and stuff inside and out, and also take them off and on as you go in, so you don't tromp stuff all over. He doesn't have that problem. Right. Those 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 two items stay clean 
So obviously that solves a rust issue as well uh, and saves a lot of money on uh, on car washes and, and, and water waste, to be, to be frank. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go give it the $5 <laughs> higher level. You get your own superpower <laughs> on the show. And that's how uh, the people support the show. The most directly we thank those people. Our next stretch goal, of course, is the monthly non-comics media podcast and also uploading all the missing full-length video shows and mini shows we did a few years ago, few being 12, uh, to our YouTube channel and re-embed them on the website. So if you want to hit those stretch goals, patreon.com slash ifanboy is where you can do it. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com is where you can find our t-shirts and related merchandise. Also, ifanboy.com slash support is where you can help us out directly via PayPal, ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find links to buy our Booksplode books and also a general Amazon link. These are all the ways people help us Keep the show going. Support iFanboy. We thank everyone that does so. The show would not exist without you. And let's move on to listener mail. A little bit different this week with our listener mail. While we were on vacation, we got a bunch of mail, and, and I think 90% of it was in the same subject. So we picked one email to represent all of you who wrote in. So Tom C. from Newcastle, UK, says, Now that the Watchmen TV show and Doomsday Clock have wrapped up, could we have your verdict on both? Did either feel like a satisfactory sequel to Alan Moore's seminal work? I would say Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons is seminal work. Let's deal with Doomsday Clock first, because I feel like that's the shorter conversation. Yes, and and uh, I also, I, I don't know if it's unfortunately or fortunately, but I think that we were in a unique position that if we're talking about both of them sort of happening at the same time or concluding at the same time, by the way, it's interesting that it took less time to produce the Watchmen show yeah. than for all the issues of the comic to come out, but that's neither here nor there. I, I did feel that doomsday clock in the end and i don't know that i would have felt this without the show was diminished not because of the scheduling and what it was supposed to be or whatever i'm willing to look at the work on its own face but in terms of faithfully recreating the intent of the original story by the time i got to the end of doomsday clock i just i thought well the the tv show kind of made this obsolete in a way well, that's interesting. I don't feel, I mean, that's an interesting take. It, okay, so I, I read Doomsday Clock over the break. These emails came in, and I was like, I don't even remember what happened in it. That's, and that's not necessarily a knock on the book. That's just a, my brain being different than we're not doing the show while reading the comics right. as opposed yeah, to yeah. doing the show. So I had to reread it last night uh, in order to talk about it because I had literally no memory of what happened in the book. The thing that's tough about Doomsday Clock is that it got its feet taken out by DC. So it, was, it ended up essentially being an Elseworlds book. A lot of people wanted to know how, how it's going to affect DC going forward and what's going to come out of it. That, and the answer is nothing. It's not going to affect anything. Because when it started 14 years ago, Jeff Johns was the this, this chief creative officer of, of DC Entertainment. And by the time it ended, he had been removed from that position. So he's no longer in, in charge. And so the initial intent of this book was to reset uh, DC continuity and bring it more back in line with the pre-52 continuity deal with what you know what was seeded in DC uh, rebirth with with flat with Wally coming back and saying that their history had been changed by Dr. Manhattan that was all seeded when Je- Jeff Johns was in charge he lost the power struggle and so this book became through the course of it being published an elseworlds title and so ultimately it doesn't really affect DC one one way or another then the deal was given it lip service about how they'll they'll take some elements but they're not really going to take any elements from it it's not really going to affect anything they might as well put a black label logo on the front and sell it that way cuz that's basically what it is now so ultimately, it was a for me a really enjoyable, fun miniseries by two top tier talents doing ultimately top tier work. There was a bit of rockiness in the beginning, but in, in, at the end of the day, it's not going to do anything for DC like it was meant to originally. It was meant to 
as this issue of 12 does, brings back the Justice Society, brings back the history, brings back the legions, the future history of DC, brings DC back in line with what it was before. And of course, that's all irrelevant because none of that's happening in the other books. Uh, I mean, the Legion came back and the Justice Society it was shown in the Justice League book as, on a different Earth. But really, the what Jeff Johns was trying to do here is completely irrelevant now. See, I, can't, I know what you're saying, and I, and I don't think that's invalid, but I can't say any of that really colors, colors my perception of the whole thing. What I was thinking, and we'll be done with this in one sec, I think what I was thinking is that at the end of it, when I when – I, Watch the the TV show, and I listened to Lindelof talk about the TV show. I feel like he was really, really doing his best to make something that was consistent with what came before. And I think that Gary Frank was doing that to a large extent, but there was a bit of imitation in it, in a way. But then at the very end, what you have here is something that went in a very different direction with these characters than what would have happened in Little Off Show. And it became very Jeff Johns at the end. This sort of hope of Superman and how that changes everything. And it, it's, it's, I mean, that's great. That's what you want Jeff Johns for. But in terms of satisfaction, like, wow, you, you really got what this text was. I would lean much more towards the Watchmen show. And I think that's the difference for me. It's interesting because there were things in here that I thought were much more in line with the Watchmen book than the TV show at the end. Huh. And we're segueing a little bit of the show. The what the last couple episodes of the show kind of bugged me in the way that the first couple didn't. Huh. Ultimately, none of it matters. It's all just it's all no. it's all quote unquote. It's not fan fiction because it's all officially licensed and it's highly paid fan fiction. It is what it is. You can take it and leave it as you as you like. I, I enjoyed Doomsday Clock. I thought it was well done. I think if I read it all together, I would really like it. But for me, I can't overlook the fact that what it was trying to do, which is what I was something I was on board with, was taken out by editorial. And so now it's, what you have is a very well done high high end Elseworlds book, as opposed to a book that is resetting uh, DC in a in a much healthier direction. And I, as someone who was worried about where DC is going, that Paul hung over reading it for me. So moving on, yep. When we're talking about the Watchmen TV show, I, I guess I will. You were not excited for it. Not at all. I was the only person I knew excited for it. I hung out with Ron and our, a couple of our buddies when he was in town right before, right before, like a week before it aired, and they were all making fun of it and how bad it looked and the trailer looked stupid. And I was the only one who was like, I'm excited for it. It looks good. I mean, Lindelof is a really talented TV maker, and the, the production value looks like everyone was, everyone was bashing it. It was a very fun, cool thing to bash on Watchmen before it came out. See, I don't know about that. I just, I, you know, it's one of those, you know, fool me a hundred times. Don't fool me again. I thought if I, if I get my hopes up for this, A, I don't have my hopes. Cause I was always like, I'm fine. I have the book. Everything's cool. We have the book. And I didn't understand. And you know, I also, I, I'm still angry about the lost television show. So, you know, I have, I have that in my heart. I hadn't watched the, the leftovers. Um, and I, I watched, I want to say, the first one, and I, I didn't fall in love. I think it took me two or three episodes to figure out what I was watching. Of Watchmen. Of Watchmen. Yep. It was Mickey, because I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say the Latin. If I could, it would be awesome right there. But when it did click, like it was like I pushed all my chips in. I'm 100% in. And since that moment, I have literally been walking around, and every time it pops into my head, I have this feeling of disbelief, like, I can't believe they got away with that. I can't believe that that is a thing that happened that other people liked who don't who aren't like scholars of the Watchmen text and that for me everything along the line was compelling 
and fascinating and and didn't to me like spiritually i think it was 100 percent in line with what came before and alan moore will never like it or be happy about it but dave gibbons is half of that team and he seems to be cool with it and i'm happy that they're giving him a check alan moore likes the check he gets to me the most interesting thing is that it was it was popular i still don't understand that like widely popular because i, I agree with you after the first couple episodes i was like wow i mean what do people think of this who've never read watch let alone a, a comic at all yeah but apparently it was widely popular because HBO was desperate to do more of them, which they wouldn't have done if it had been no one would have been watching it. I mean, right off the bat, the production was stellar. The costuming, the way it looked, the way it was shot, the, the way they used the titles. It wasn't afraid to embrace the comic in a way that the movie was in terms of the way it looked. You know, they didn't modernize the costumes. No, that's Veidt's costume. Everyone looked kind of hokey in their costumes, but uh-huh. in a way that worked. Just like the comic would have done. Right. And it, it, it didn't try to make them badass or cool. Like, and, and, and in that way, they became badass and cool. And I, I love the way that Tim Blake Nelson's costume looked. You know, that's oh. just, just the reflecting mask he wore. And, and uh, Regina King's costume was cool. Like, but, even the, the, but then when you, when you saw the classic costumes, they looked right out of the comics, but they looked right and perfect. And just so right off the bat, the level of production was incredible. Um, and Lindelof using it as a as a platform to talk about race in America was that was really interesting and made the show compelling and vital and and modern. You know, there was something that just didn't just bug me, and that was that's fine. I I still think this is a great show. It's it's still one of the best shows of of, of last year. But like the closer it got to the books, to me, the the more I started to get to get a little bugged, mm-hmm. which you know is what it is. I think that's. Fair. I don't know that I. I don't relate because I really the, the closer we got to the book, and and also I, you know, honestly, it really helped me to listen to the HBO podcast that came out with it, and that's not always the case. But in this, you, God, it was it's kind of amazing how thoughtful and reverent that it was, and to really get it right, and his sort of motivation for doing it, and his motivation for not doing more. Also, I think the moment that it clicked for me, I think I could not even pin it down when uh, Gene Smart comes on and I realized who she was, Mm -hmm. that she was Lori Blake. I think, you know, like I maybe internally yelped, but I just went, oh, I 1000% understand what this is. And she was the first bit that I was like, she's amazing. That is, I mean, that was just a stellar bit of casting and also just of acting. The way that she portrayed that, I was like, oh, that's 100% that character from before. Mm -hmm. You know, and I like that they didn't feel the need to bring in Dan Dryberg. They didn't, you know, to do that. They, They just told a story based with the things that they had. It seemed a little strange to not even show him since we saw every other character who yeah. was still around. Maybe. Not even, not even a glimpse of what, because I think that it was, he was in jail, I think they said, but like, it seemed, that seemed like a weird oversight considering we saw everyone else, but that's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I look at it like they didn't know what to do with him, so they didn't join him in for no reason. They didn't put in, well, it doesn't matter. I think the, the more I went on when we started to figure out what was happening with Vite? Mm-hmm. Jeremy Irons' performance as that guy absolutely changed him in my mind. And if I read the comic book now, I'm going to hear his voice. The way that he said Vite, like he bites the end of it off every time he says it. And I was just, I was all in. And and then I think the bit where, like I was in, I'm enjoying it. The bit where I sort of fell in love, I think is the, the Tim Blake, the Nelson's character yeah. one, where you, you pull back and, and it was like a, 
I, I don't know that it was big F you really to the movie. It was like, you're not going to show the squid. Watch this. Well, that was, gonna... that, that was the best episode. The, the one we, we yeah. saw his origin, you know, him being, him being in New Jersey when the squid happens. And he was a great character. I mean, one of the most interesting things about the show was that they basically reformed the Watchmen without fish, officially reforming them. So you had a Rorschach mm-hmm. character and you had, all, you had a, you had like a comedian psychotic character. Like you had all the sort of character types who were not a team, but were in the story. Mm-hmm. So it was very, it was very familiar, even if it was only subconscious, in your in your mind that that the Watchmen were on screen. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you the things I didn't like, and, and they're very minor, just to get them out of the way. I hated the the voice they used for for Doctor Manhattan before he changed over to the husband. Like when that mm-hmm. that episode where he's in the bar and talking to her, and we never see his face. Mm-hmm. I hated his voice. I thought it was a terrible choice. The the the, the casting for him was terrible. Mm-hmm. It really bugged me at the end when finally they killed Dr. Manhattan that <laughs> in his last moments when he is everywhere at once, he only thinks of Angela. He doesn't think about Laurie at all. He doesn't think about Janie, his first wife. It's only about Angela. And I felt to me like they were pushing their story to the expense of the original story. That really sat wrong with me. Mm-hmm. She was his great love, fine, but in his last moment, it, that he's not thinking of his other two loves felt wrong, felt really wrong. And then there was something else I didn't like. Oh, I mean, there's the, you know, the controversy about Hood of Justice and who he was really uh, – it was fine for the story. I thought it worked really well for the, for the TV show, but it makes no sense whatsoever if you read the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are minor things. Yeah, yeah. I just – I liked – I liked it. I liked the, the – imagination i don't you know you don't need it you don't you know you can't it's not going to ruin the book before it but mm-hmm. just the fact that it existed and it was as thoughtful as it was really really impressed me i guess i was just more and and the idea that like you know linda lost just like you know unless i have a reason to do another one right now i can't think i do i'm i'm gonna tell my story and also he told a, he told an interesting bit where it's funny because it people referred to the ending as a cliffhanger i didn't think so at all i didn't either no. but he said, well, one time I, you know, I, he went to the the movies and God, I'm trying to remember what the movie was. Oh, it was uh, Inception. Yeah. And he goes in the bathroom and he hears two guys peeing and talking about uh, what, it, what it was. And, and the one guy was like, that was like the greatest ending I've ever seen. And the other guy, that was the worst ending I've ever seen. And he goes, I realize that there's people who, you know, they want that closure and other people who like that kind of ending that's sort of vague, but also that you can infer. And he's like, and I realized I'm the guy who likes that ending. And I, I am too. This yeah. is Josh talking. You know, and so when it, they got to the end of it, I had no idea that anybody thought of that as a, a cliffhanger. I thought, oh, what a great ending. The culture has shifted now towards everything has to be wrapped up at the end. And there has, everything has to be spelled out at the end. Otherwise, it's, it's unsuccessful. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I even thought it wasn't even a question because he laid everything out beforehand mm-hmm. to know exactly what, what you're seeing at the end. And even though they don't explicitly show it, it's not like it's in question of what you're you're looking at. It's been laid out through the whole series. So that was puzzling to me that people thought that was even like what happened. Well, it was very clear what happened. They they've been talking about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. I mean, but also I could make a case for the show doesn't you know the show the book whatever they you know they want to subvert your she falls in the water you know like it's all like the comedian at the it's all a big joke that's his whole thing could have gone either way. Like there's a thing to be made for it. Probably you're right. That would, you know, but, but I like that. I like that there's a plausible ex- explanation for all those things and you, you write your own ending. You, you know, you take the things and you figure out how you think it goes and you don't need that answer. That doesn't make it better. Right. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was a terrific show. It was utterly compelling. Um, every Sunday in my house was like, it's time for Watchmen. Turn the lights off. Don't turn the phone. Yeah. Like turn the phones off. Like it was, it was crazy. And the fact that it was something that people everywhere were watching was really intense. The, the cast was terrific. Regina King oh. continues to do amazing work. Tim Blake Nelson is uh, he's he, he's he's great in everything he does. But he was so good in this. Yeah, he was. As you, as you said, Jeremy Irons was terrific. Fight. The continued resurgence of Don Johnson's career is great. It was utterly unexpected and surprising and terrific. I'm glad it was made. Yep. I tell you, it didn't ruin any of the comic books, but it ruined that movie. Not that the yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, the, the thing is, when you, you read Doomsday Clock, and it, <laughs> you know, it's very different in terms of yeah the way to look at the characters, and and that's fine too. They're all different interpretations. At the end of the day, it's all just different interpretations of the same characters and. Watchmen is Watchmen. Everything else is what they are, and you don't have you can take it or leave it as you as you want it. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, it definitely it definitely puts a bullet in the back of those movies. Oh sure, and and the back, you know, and, and the, so the, you know, this year to get that and the boys, right? You know, when I had really been like, I don't want any more of this. I don't want all of this comic book stuff to really be superseded by uh, film and movie adaptations. But both of those things came out, and I was like, all right, you do it like that, I'm cool. I mean, it's, it's so tried to say, but I would love to see Lindelof just do the book because it, mm-hmm. with with that art direction, you know, it shows that whatever his aesthetic is, the art direction can work. And I would just love to have seen that story told. I, I really would love to interview some people who've never read the book before and who watched the show and what they thought mm-hmm. of it. Because without the the foundation of it, I don't. I feel like you'd be totally lost with it. But I guess apparently you're not. Yeah. Well, that's the skill, I guess. All right, so there you go, Tom. See, contactifanboy.com. Tom and a bunch of other people wrote in with a very similar question. And now you can stop writing in and asking about Watchmen and Doomsday Clock. But you can write us contactifanboy.com, get your email on the show, and thanks for everyone who does. Let's, uh, let's put a time bullet in this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I literally, while we were doing this, I got an email confirmation from my January Talksplode. So I'm going to do my best to get you that before the end of the month comes out. Uh, as always, I'm not going to tell you who that is. There's a book explode that we also have planned at some point in the near future. That book is Batman by Neil Adams, book three. Now, I don't know if you know about comics from the past, but you can pretty much just read them at any point. So we're going to be starting at book three. We're not going to read yeah. one, two, and three. Right. Bunch of 70s Neil Adams Batman comics. And I don't know what else you need to know about that, but that's where we're going to go from here. Uh, Connor, we have a patron hangout coming yeah, up? Yes, so if you're a patron, in addition to all your other the fun things you get to do, you, we have our monthly patron hangout for one hour a month, Josh and I, and so usually Ron hang out and talk about nonsense for for your enjoyment. And this month's patron hangout is January 26th. You can find information over our Patreon page. But we look forward to those, and that'll be fun. Hopefully we are Always. not as sick. Also, the Tripwire Awards are currently happening. They are uh, UK-based awards that anyone can vote on the recipients. They're, they're, the voting is online. And I, I, would, I mentioned earlier in the show that I worked with Bill Sienkiewicz on a couple of projects, one of which was Bill Sienkiewicz Revolution Volume 1, the art book to celebrating his career. Uh, the company I used to work for did that book, and I, did, I had some, some hand in it. And uh, if you would consider voting for it for the Tripwire Awards, I'd be appreciative in the best collection category. You can find a link to the voting on the show notes for the show. And I realize the funnel of internet interaction is what it is, and only a few of you will actually get to that point. But we appreciate if – if everyone who listened to the show voted, it would win in a landslide. If even a quarter of you voted, it would probably win handily. Even if a fifth of you voted, it would probably still win easily. So – and if you're listening to this, it's not like you probably don't really appreciate Bill Sienkiewicz. So, right. So, you know, 
if you if you don't mind going to ifanboy.com, finding the post for the show, going to the, that post, finding the link, voting for Bill Sinkovich. And you can also vote for all the awards. But in the best collection category, Bill Sinkovich Revolution Volume 1, I would appreciate it. We worked really hard on it, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, you can find that over at ifanboy.com. You will find the post for this show. You will find all the podcasts that we've ever done. You will find... 70 plus podcast interviews you'll find a bunch of books blows you will find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy and following at ifanboy on twitter and you can follow at ifanboy comics on instagram for best of the week and panels on a week that something comes out that's worth posting you can follow us individually uh, at cs kilpatrick on instagram and um jay flanagan on instagram and possibly i'm not i don't have twitter right now so um there's that I'm, I'm crashing as the show. Luckily, the show is ending because I'm starting to. Everything's wearing off. If you like the show, uh, please leave a review or star rating wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your aggregator is. It helps people find podcasts, helps people find the show. And we thank everyone who does that, helps spread the word. Even better than that is, is word of mouth, telling your friends who ask about podcasts. There's still lots of people out there who read comics and don't listen to comics podcasts. And that's there's always an opportunity that's insane. for more <laughs> listeners for all kinds of shows. Any show you listen to, it would be great to. To spread the spread the word about them and those shows and our show, we uh, we thank you for doing that. So we're a little bit better this week. Hopefully next week we're even better, feeling feeling better and more in tune <laughs> with the world. I'm gonna go lay down now. I'm Connor. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm Josh. I'm already laying down pretty much, so it's good. I'm so tired. Yeah.